Hey everyone, this is Jose Nino again. Today I have on Jason Hartman. He's the CEO of the Empowered Investor and the host of the Creating Wealth Show. What's new with you today, Jason? Hey, Jose, it's great to talk with you and um, really looking forward to digging in. I, I just love your work. You're just a great historian and you have such a great view against the backdrop of great historical events and What we're thinking a lot about today in the real estate world is the change in the market. Is it changing? You know, with these increased interest rates, how does that affect the macroeconomic picture? How does it affect the real estate market? And where are we going from here? That's a big question all of our investors are asking. Thank you so much for the kind words, Jason. Yeah, that's a lot to unpack. We'll definitely touch upon that. So before we dig into the main course. Could you give my listeners a brief overview of your bio? Sure. Yeah. I uh, came from the traditional real estate world. I got my real estate license when I was 19 years old and I started selling real estate part-time while I was going to college. And I just did that because I wanted to learn the business so I could become a real estate investor. I always thought that was the way to wealth and I didn't have much of any wealth resources growing up and didn't want to stay in that position. And uh, I just always thought it was the most historically proven asset class in the entire world. And so I followed that path. I uh, started a traditional real estate company, grew that for several years. I sold it to Coldwell Banker. And ever since then, I've been working in the investment side of the business, just working 100% with investors and helping them build portfolios of mostly single-family homes in good markets nationwide. So people will come to us and, you know, they might buy one property, they might buy 100 properties, they might buy 500 properties, and uh, we'll just help them build that portfolio of real estate and help them determine the highest and best use for any capital they have so that they can maximize their return on investment. I also have a software company called Real Estate Tools, and that helps people analyze real estate investments. And then once they own them, it helps them track the investments. So I'm very much centered around the real estate world. And on my podcast and YouTube channel, I teach people about macroeconomics and then how they can react to that. And, you know, most of the time, the way to best build wealth is through income property. So I am kind of tie those two together. So yeah, happy to talk about all that stuff today. The income property point is particularly interesting because you'll hear a bunch of self-proclaimed experts say, for example, that stocks, crypto, or precious metals, you name it, are the optimal wealth building strategies. Why do you recommend real estate, especially in income properties, as your primary wealth building vehicle? Primarily because they are a multidimensional asset. And so income property, you earn your return on investment in lots of different ways. The other assets you mentioned are pretty much, I mean, I know there are little things around the margins people can do and creative things, but by and large, they're one-dimensional asset classes. The whole game is buy low, sell high, right? It's one dimensional. There's only one dimension of return. And once you buy low and hopefully you sell high, you're going to pay a big tax bill for doing that. And 
you know, if you have a dividend paying stock or you're somehow creatively using crypto and staking it or loaning it, and maybe you're earning some return on it as well, right? But that's rare, but there are ways you can do it. They involve some risk, but anyway, it can be done. And if you're doing that, it becomes a two-dimensional asset class. So the game there is buy low, sell high, get some dividends or get some interest in the meantime, right? But with income property, hopefully you're going to buy low, sell high. You're going to take advantage of leverage. You're going to take advantage of my trademark term, inflation-induced debt destruction, which I'm happy to talk about in more detail. You're going to get tax benefits. It's the most tax-favored asset class in America. And taxes are almost always the single highest expense anybody has in their life. And you get income from it, cash flow. It's just such a great asset class because of these multidimensional characteristics. When I hear people talk about real estate, you'll get very simplistic views about it. And there's a lot of conventional wisdom that makes me kind of skeptical of the field because you'll hear some people talk about like house flipping and then investing in just like big markets for real estate. What would you say are the main myths being spread about the field that really grind your gears? Well, we don't have enough time to talk about all of them because there are so many hucksters in every field. You know, one of the things I say on my Creating Wealth podcast a lot is, is that sadly, we live in a time where just everything has become a scam. It's truly shocking and depressing how just everything has become a scam. <laughs> I mean, you know, in the old days, they had snake oil salesmen. But yeah, it's just unbelievable. It really is. But some of the big things are that, you know, flipping, right? Flipping is good to create spending money. But if you're building capital and earning income from flipping, it's really an income game. You're not going to have very favorable tax treatment. And it just doesn't leave you in that great a position, right? Because there's more risk to it and so forth. But if you make money flipping, that's fine. Take that money, those profits, and put them into buy and hold properties so that you can create some long-term wealth. Over the years, I've noticed that the flippers have spending money and the buy and hold people have real wealth. So that's one of the important things to consider. And back to your last question about the different asset classes and why I like income property so much, it's proven, right? It's been proven over thousands of years, literally. It's got a very long history. If you look at cryptocurrency, which I, I think is fine, I certainly own some. I, I don't want to have FOMO, so I'm in the game, although it's certainly not a main thing for me at all. But it's only a teenager, right? Mm -hmm. It's just a very young, unproven thing. Now, one could argue that stocks have been around for a few hundred years. Real estate's been around for a few thousand years in terms of buying it and renting it, right? That idea of real estate. And gold has very long history, right? Precious metals, right? But precious metals, again, are just one-dimensional. And it's really interesting right now that we should be seeing a great inflation trade on crypto and precious metals, yet the opposite is happening. Isn't that interesting? I mean, those are supposed to be the great inflation hedges, right? And they're not acting that way at all. In fact, they've just 
performed very poorly. Yet real estate is booming. So that might lead us to the question of, are we on the verge of a bubble in real estate, which is a fair discussion that we can talk about. I actually want to go back to your point about inflation-induced debt destruction. Could you explain to my listeners what that means? Sure. So one of the strategies that I've been teaching for about 18 years now is the idea of using leverage on the properties, but using that leverage in a very specific way. Most real estate investors, they love leverage because leverage amplifies returns. And that's all great. But there is a hidden wealth creator going on behind the scenes with income property. And it's called inflation-induced debt destruction. So when we borrow money to buy a property, we borrow probably 80% of the value. And over time, that money is paid back in cheaper dollars if we're in an inflationary environment. and. This becomes a beautiful, beautiful wealth creator. So say, for example, and to keep this out of the esoteric theory category, I'll just use a real-world example. If you look at a 30-year mortgage starting in 1972, and I like to start it there because in 1971, of course, we all know what happened. Nixon closed the gold window. So we went off the gold standard, and the dollar was no longer tethered to anything. It became pure fiat money at that point. And so in 1972, a year after, if someone got a mortgage, their interest rate was about 7.3%, okay, on a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. And over that 30 years, the dollar was devalued, and it's certainly been devalued since. And so you just go 12 years later, you look at 1984, the dollar lost 60% of its value. The $1,972 is now only worth 40 cents. And by the end of the mortgage in 2001, that dollar was only worth 24 cents. So what happened over time is people kept paying the same amount of money every month, but the value of that money was debased or it was in decline through inflation-induced debt destruction. And so... They got to pay the debt back in cheaper dollars. And so inflation is a wealth transfer in many ways. But one way is it transfers wealth from lenders to borrowers. So the debt is actually a tool to pay it back in cheaper dollars. And if you look at this on the global stage, geopolitically, just look at the U.S. and China and that trade relationship, right? The U.S. debases its dollar and pays China back in cheaper dollars. So the debt is actually disappearing. The governments and central banks around the world use my strategy, inflation-induced debt destruction. So basically what I've done is adapted it to income property, and I teach people how to use it for themselves and align their interest with these two most powerful forces, governments and central banks. But it gets even better than that, Jose, because not only do we get to pay the debt back in cheaper dollars, but we don't have to pay the debt at all. We delegate that repayment responsibility to our tenants, and the tenants repay the debt. So we get this like infinite arbitrage that happens over time 
where the debt is paid back in cheaper dollars, but it's paid back by somebody else, the tenants, the renters. And this equation is the hidden wealth creator that has made so, so many people so, so wealthy with income property. So one thing that's really caught my attention is your unique approach to real estate investing that lies in contrast to your self-professed guru that you find online. Because from what I've gathered, you'll see people talking about investing in flashy markets, say New York City, Los Angeles, et cetera. Yep. What's wrong with this investment approach and what do you propose instead for making the most out of your real estate investing? Yeah, you know, in a country as large and diverse as the United States, there is no such thing as a quote-unquote housing market. There's no national market here. This country is just too big. There are almost 400 what they call MSAs or Metropolitan Statistical Areas. There are over 3,100 counties in the U.S. There are over 9,000 cities in the U.S. and countless neighborhoods beyond that. And the old saying in real estate is that all real estate is local. All real estate is local. And that's certainly true. But it would help for efficiency's sake, Jose, if we could at least categorize these markets into some different types of markets to help guide our investments. So... I've categorized them into three types of markets, linear markets, cyclical markets, and hybrid markets. And I'll give you an example. So linear markets are the markets we like. If you're looking at an appreciation chart over time, the linear markets look pretty boring, pretty slow and steady. Not much happens there. They just appreciate slowly over time. By contrast, the cyclical markets, they have big ups and downs. The chart looks like a roller coaster. It's got glorious highs and really ugly lows or really ugly troughs that wipe people out. And the hybrid markets would be, as the name implies, in between the two. So an example of these cyclical markets, they're the ones that make all the news because they're more interesting to report on. They're places like where I grew up, Los Angeles, California. Pretty much the entire West Coast of the United States, the expensive Northeastern markets, you know, New York, Washington, D.C., Boston, et cetera. South Florida, where I live now, Miami is a very cyclical market. Around the world, they're all the trophy cities of the world that we all hear about. London, Paris, Hong Kong, Dubai, markets like this, okay? Those are cyclical markets. But the rest of the world, most of the planet, most of the country are more linear markets. And some markets are in between their hybrid markets. In the U.S., some good examples of hybrid markets would be where you live, Austin, Texas. Another great example would be Denver, Colorado, right? Mm -hmm. Salt Lake City would be another hybrid market. So that just gives people the lay of the land. If you can categorize them into three types, it's really helpful. And we like the linear markets because those markets have better cash flow, they're more stable, and we don't have to worry so much about trying to time the market. If you're investing in cyclical markets, you need to be a market timer. And 
as history shows us, market timing doesn't work very well <laughs> in any mm -hmm. asset class, not just real estate, but in any asset class. Very informative stuff. Now for the inevitable segue into politics. So I've noticed on your show, it's obviously real estate focus, but you have made various allusions to certain political stuff. Broadly speaking, how would you describe your political outlook? You know, I'm pretty much a libertarian. I think the best government is a small government. I think the way the founding fathers wanted to design the country, I think they did it right. A limited government where people have more rights and more freedom. You know, there's an old saying, the bigger the government, the smaller the citizen. The smaller the government, the bigger the citizen. And I think that's true. You know, most people would agree on both sides of the political aisle, left or right, they would agree that government is not the most efficient creature, right? Not very efficient. They would also both agree that there's a lot of corruption in government, right? And look, human beings are fallen creatures. They're going to take advantage of systems. That's just the way it is. It's, it's unfortunate, but it's just the way things are. So you're always going to have some level of corruption and inefficiency for sure. But, you know, if you want to curtail that, just reduce the size of it. Reduce the size of government. And by reducing the size, the amount of corruption and inefficiency will, will reduce along with it naturally, right? So that's what I believe. And as far as a real estate investor, you know, you'll notice that all of the markets where they are more right-leaning politically, they are more landlord-friendly, and they're just better places to invest. So um, there's kind of a tie-in with real estate investing there. Yeah, that's actually a really good point that you mentioned about the differences in the states and other jurisdictions when it comes to real estate policy and housing policy in general. Because we do live in this era of monster government where the state is involved in virtually every facet of human activity. Are there any aspects of real estate where you see excessive state involvement based on your experience? Oh, sure. I mean, with the COVID-1984 pandemic, <laughs> I hope you like my humor. <laughs> yes. My sarcasm. <laughs> um, you know, the government has used that, sadly, to just usurp more and more power and control over people in myriad ways, obviously. You know, you got to put a diaper on your face. You got to, you know, you can't go out between certain times. And that, in my opinion, was just a warm-up. Now that they've tested that with a disease issue, they're going to apply that to climate lockdowns, and all sorts of ways to restrict freedom and surveil people. And it's a scary time, a pretty Orwellian time we're living in, sadly. But yeah, I mean, what was your question or where did you want to go with that? I'm sorry. No, in terms of like regulatory policies, dealing with properties and just like real estate activity. Oh, yeah, yeah. Have you yeah. noticed like excessive state involvement there? You know, we've seen movement toward rent control, I predicted very early that we would see a huge expansion in housing assistance. The big program now is called Section 8, mm -hmm. but there are many various types of 
government housing assistance out there. And, you know, landlords can benefit from this. It's not all bad, right? We think it's bad sort of initially, right? And and philosophically, I hate it. But there are many ways we can benefit from it and just get our slice of the government handout pie, right? So, you know, the government's a pretty good rent payer. They don't default. They pay rent every month very reliably. And so landlords can be the beneficiary of these programs. Rent control, we all think on its face, would be terrible for landlords. But what it really does, like every government program, is it it never works and it hurts the people they say they're trying to help. So we have rent control and there will be fewer investors and that'll create more housing shortages. I mean, look at the areas with the most intrusive government and the biggest restrictions on rent. They have the biggest housing shortages and huge homelessness problems, right? So these programs, well-intentioned or not, they just always backfire. That's the nature of the government beast. Yeah, and I don't really see that going away anytime soon. So Yeah, I agree, sadly. Based on your experience working with countless real estate investors, how would you describe the political view of the average real estate investor? You know, I I think their views would be in line with mine pretty much. You know, I find that when liberalism, for example, the left-leaning political views are a luxury of prosperity, Mm -hmm. of easy money. And and when I say prosperity, I don't mean hard-earned prosperity. I mean easy money. And so wherever the money kind of flows easily, whether it be in Hollywood or in major media, you know, celebrities. I'm not saying celebrities don't work hard. You know, great musicians might practice their craft for many years before being discovered. But once discovered, it's just super easy to make many, many millions of dollars, right? And so they have these just wacky leftist views and they want to force them on everybody else, but they don't obey them themselves, right? Ariana Huffington thinks everybody should live in a small house and drive a small crappy car, yet (laughs) he rolls around in SUVs and lives in an 8,800-square-foot mansion. Al Gore, same way, you know, how much electricity does Al Gore's home use? I mean, it's just disgusting hypocrisy, frankly, but that's the way it is. I mean, it's unfortunate, but it's the reality of it. Yep. That's how the cookie crumbles often. It sure is. Yeah. Yeah. Before we leave, could you give some pointers to some of the more novice people in my audience that don't know much about real estate? What resources would you direct them to in order to get their feet wet in this field? Yeah. You know, one of the most important things is just get educated, right? And nowadays, you don't have to pay a lot for education. It's very inexpensive to just get educated. Listen to my podcast. Listen to my YouTube channel. I mean, well, it still exists. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Before the thought police come in and close it down. It's just ridiculous that we have to think this way and censor our... We're self-censoring because these big tech companies, they're just policing thought. You know, and now we've got a government agency to do it, the Disinformation Bureau, right? Who's going to decide what disinformation is, the Communist Party. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's just 
the disinformation propagators. It's between Fahrenheit 451 and 1984. We are living in, in scary times. But the answer is get educated, listen to my Creating Wealth podcast, check out my YouTube channel, all of that kind of stuff. There's just a lot of great free education out there. And, you know, of course, there's some paid stuff to take advantage of too. And just get educated and really understand that everything has become a scam, sadly. And we have just simply got to take care of ourselves. The government's not going to do it. They're going to inflate away the value of our savings, our stocks, our bonds, and even our equity in real estate because inflation is a pickpocket. It is pickpocketing the wealth of people and it is transferring wealth and consolidating wealth into the elite class. And we have got to be ever vigilant to make sure that we protect ourselves and our families so that we do not fall victim to it. And we can actually, one of the great things that I teach is how to use these strategies, these strategies that the elite class is using for our own benefit. And by doing that, we're really using it against them. So there's a lot of ways you can actually gain the system, if you will. And that's what I teach. Well, thank you so much for coming on to my show, Jason. It was very informative. And I really look forward to future conversations on real estate with you. Yeah. And just one thing I want to mention too, thank you for all you do, Jose. And if anybody goes to my website, jasonhartman.com, and you subscribe to any of our stuff, you know, put in your email address on the contact form, you will receive, Jose writes for us and he just does a great job. His emails are excursions into history and philosophy and he ties them in with present economic things. So you'll be getting some great writings by your host, Jose Nino. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Jason. And also feel free to plug your content again and any other projects that you have in mind, because I believe my audience would be very interested in what what you have. Yeah, no, I, I would just say the YouTube channel, the podcast, check those out and get on our email list. So you'll get Jose's Sunday newsletter from us and really tying these real estate principles and economic principles in to very important history lessons. I just love reading your stuff. So uh, keep up the good work. All right, to my audience, your attention is greatly appreciated. And with that, El Nino has spoken.